Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. There are two passages we're putting before our minds today from Paul's writings. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We note that Paul is not comparing pain with pleasure, and he's not minimizing the significance of one person's pain or another person's pleasure either. Both count for something, and we should not minimize a person's pain or their pleasure as insignificant or unimportant. But all things must be viewed in light of eternity, our pain and our pleasures in time, with pain and pleasure in eternity. And it's what happens in eternity that matters most of all. Somehow God has positioned us to have a unique role in the service and work of the gospel because we're relatively unharassed. It allows us to reserve and gather up our resources in a certain way to express a ministry and an aid to those who are suffering and those who struggle in other lands. And bless God for that. It's a good thing. Some suffer more, some suffer less, some have less pleasure, some have more pleasure and more benefit and more delight. That all said, comparing pain with pain or pain with pleasure and agony with glory, that's not what 2 Corinthians 4.17 is comparing here. That's not what Paul is dealing with in Romans 8.18 either. The comparison here is a comparison of time before eternity. And in particular, what is being compared is the trials that are found in time with the triumphs that will be found in eternity. That's the point. So here's the second thing that we want to talk about, and we'll just state it out. The experiences found in time are not comparable to those waiting for us in eternity. The experiences found in time are not comparable for those waiting for us in eternity. Look, if you felt the burden of the day or in the past year you've dealt with fear and trials and difficulty, or you're pressing into the new year with tremendous sense of trepidation, wondering if all the difficulties of the last year are going to follow you into the new year. Listen to the words again of 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding... The word there, far more exceeding, the Greek actually is exceeding upon exceeding. It's like I can't even tell you. The word actually is hyperbole upon hyperbole. Exaggeration upon exaggeration. Can't get out far enough. A far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. Romans 8.18 For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But even in the statement, he's made some kind of comparison, hasn't he? Put it this way. Imagine you were to experience a long life. Let's try to make this comparison. It's a weak, I know it's an incredibly weak comparison. As we are exaggerating the impact and the benefits of time, 
significantly we would make this comparison, but imagine for a moment that you live for 100 years. And during that time, over those 100 years, your life is a constant expression of undiminished joy and blessing and satisfaction and comfort and peace. But in the midst of that 100-year life of just unembated pleasure and joy and benefit and blessing and peace, you experience one pure second of sorrow and suffering. Just one second. That would not at all come close to reflecting the balance of a life from the moment it had been born that spent it in misery and difficulty and hardship and challenge and pain and suffering should that life be drawn up into the eternal, infinite joys of everlasting life. It doesn't even measure out a life of suffering to a second of pain and a short life of joy. That's what God has given us. You can't begin to compare the sorrows that will be yours limited to time to the choice that will be ours without limit without end in eternity when paul says that our suffering is light or our affliction is light he's not making little of suffering he's not taking a measure of the potency of suffering it's important it's not a small thing Jesus Christ came into this world in order to suffer, and his suffering was important. It was not a small thing. But what Paul is doing is he's making little of time. Our time of suffering cannot be compared with our promise of eternal joy. The Lord Jesus himself knew that. He knew it. He knew even his own moment of profound suffering was not to be compared with the joy that would follow. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us what was in the mind of Christ when he endured the agonies of suffering and hell that have been accumulated from a world in time of pain and sorrow and suffering. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, you know, the joy of eternal blessings, the joy that he have in redeeming us unto himself, the joy that would come to him through his suffering on the cross, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. The word despising there means discounting it, disregarding it. It was as nothing to him. And it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The time of suffering that he experienced was not to be compared with the eternity of glory that he was to receive in winning us to himself. He took it and put it in the scale as well. The Bible speaks to us over and over again of the very briefness of life in comparison to eternity. In Psalm 39, David says in verse 5, You have made my days as a hand's breadth. That basically was the smallest measurement known in his time. You have made my days as a hand breadth, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Job puts it this way in Job chapter 7, verse 16. Job says, my days, that is my days on earth, my days are but a breath. Do you remember, do you have in your mind frozen that memory of just one breath you ever took? Just one. I mean, can you think about it? The moment, the time, the exquisite joy of that one breath? Maybe you have one. Maybe when you were 
finding that you were snorkeling and you were losing your breath under the water and you didn't know you were going to make it to the surface. And that one breath when you broke the surface, you remember that one breath, right? Most of us can't remember one breath that we ever took. If we can remember kind of one breath, it would be when we were little kids at the bus stop on an incredibly cold winter day, right? And you could just see the breath coming out of you as you breathe in that cold state. And, you know, we were all sitting around the bus stop pretending to smoke cigars as we brew the breath out of our lungs and through our mouths. That's about as close as you'll come to remembering a breath. Well, that moment, that crystallized moment where that breath was expelled from your lungs so long ago at that bus stop or out of the cold, well, that's a picture of your life. That's it. That's all of it. That's all of it in the face of eternity. And that's an exaggerated account of what life is in the face of eternity. Your pain, dear Christian, captured in time, cannot be compared with your blessing that will enfold you and encapsulate you throughout all of eternity. Now, if that's true, by the way, of a Christian's pain, it's also true of the unbeliever's pleasures. Those who live for pleasure will find that it passes away into a period of unending suffering. And there's no comparison between the two. Listen, it's not the possibility of joy or glory in heaven that should fill the Christian with courage and hope and confidence. It's the idea that those joys and those glories will last forever. They'll last forever. It's not the idea of pain and agony to whatever extent that a person might experience in hell that should dissuade them or cause them to fear hell. It's the idea that that suffering, to whatever extent it is, will go on and on and on and endure forever that should fill them with profound concern. Time and light of eternity does not compare. And the experience of time to those of eternity makes everything that you experience in time a light thing compared to the weight of the unending ages that lie before us. So, the glory to come. In comparison with the sorrow we're suffering now, you can't even compare it. You can't even weigh it. A second of pain and a lifetime of pleasure wouldn't measure it out for us. Having said all that, Having said that time is not comparable to eternity, the third thing we want to say here to conclude with is that time is not inconsequential to eternity. can't be compared with it. You can't compare time with eternity. It doesn't measure up in any way. But it's not inconsequential. In fact, what Paul is saying here is that time is, before eternity, a very important thing. Because in that time... We have determined what our eternity will be as a product of the faith we express and what we place our faith in during that time period. What Paul says is that this light, temporary, momentary second of suffering is working out for the believer, for the servant of Christ, a far more exceeding weight and glory. It's almost unimaginable. It's hard to get our minds around. This inconsequential, incomparable moment in time where we experience pain or difficulty is working for us and producing for us some measure of blessing that is incomparable and unimaginable, that's exceeding upon exceeding of a surpassing glory. By the way, in the same way, 
The person who experiences pleasure and benefits and joy, but doesn't allow those pleasures and benefits and joy to produce in them what God is intending, and that is that His goodness would lead them to repentance, that all the gifts He gives would be expressions of love, drawing them to turn from themselves to put their faith in Christ. All of those benefits, all of that pleasure is working for them a greater judgment in eternity. Both are working for them something in time. They're working out something for them. For the follower of the Lord Jesus, the Christian, Christ has told us to rejoice when we suffer for His sake because the suffering in some way is actually increasing our measure of joy in heaven. I don't know how it works, but this is how God has worked it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus says this, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad in light of your suffering. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter got the idea, and so Peter repeats the same idea of confidence, the same sense of causing us to anticipate greater eternal joys rising out of our suffering. When in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Suffering somehow enhances your joy. This is true because our Savior, who is the joy of eternal life, satisfies His redeemed even in moments of pain and in times when pain is absent with Himself. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.